welcome to All Things IDD, hosted by the Ark of Wichita County. This podcast is a place where we will be sharing resources for those with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their families, raise awareness, as well as create a space for stories by and about those with disabilities. This episode features Dr. Frank Del Rio, who is speaking with me about how to help someone with IDD walk through healing from trauma. Thank you for being here today, Frank. If you could tell me about yourself. Okay. Well, I'm Frank Del Rio. I work as a community integration and behavior specialist for the ARC of Wichita County. Um, I've been working there now for almost a year, but I've been a volunteer there for about 20 years. Whenever I started at the ARC, I knew from the very beginning it was a dream. If we could only have Frank on our staff and now it's happened and we're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Do you mind telling us just a little bit about your work history, what it is that um, you do or did for Helen Farabee and what um, all you do at the ARC now? Sure. Uh, Well, for the Helen Farabee Center, I was there for 30 years and I worked as an autism specialist um, way back when we I first started working because I was there for 30 years. Not a lot of people knew much about autism back then. So I kind of was on the forefront of that, at least in the Wichita area. And so I worked a lot with people with autism, IDD in general. Um, I worked with people in the ICF group homes, um, which is intermediate care facilities, and that's another topic for another day probably. (laughs) Worked with people in the HCS program, which is the Home and Community-Based Services program. So I worked as a psychologist, helping do testing, um, helping with behaviors, helping with training, issues like that. For about six years, I was the supervisor of the ICF group homes for Helen Fairby in Wichita Falls. So I have a background working with the group homes and the different ins and outs of that. And I also worked as the person who did all the testing. I did what we call determinations of intellectual disability or simplifying it as an IQ test, but it's so much more than that. It's kind of when someone's interested in getting services through the system, they start out with getting a did is what we call that report. We get one of those completed that shows their eligibility and then we go forward with that. So I've done that um, through Helen Fairby. I've done a lot of training and then in cooperation with ARC and now I'm on the other side of it doing with ARC in cooperation with Helen Fairby. But we do a lot of training with the police department, um, done training with daycare centers, just anybody that's wanting training on the people we serve, how to interact with them, or just even families when they're wanting information on how to work with their loved ones. We do all kinds of training like that, whether it's in a group forum or even now that I work for the ARC, we do one-on-one if families want help, they can if they're a member, they just call up, say they'd like to talk about their loved one, and we'll sit down and talk about it. Yeah, which I'm so glad we have that now to offer to people. So um, you're such a huge asset to the ARC and what we do. And obviously, like your skills are important, but you just have so much love for our members. And that's so obvious. So it's always fun to see members interacting with you that have known you a long time, but then also some that are just getting to meet you. You just love our members so well. Thank you. I appreciate that. And what's funny about that is when I first started in this field, I didn't know the first thing about autism or intellectual and developmental disabilities. I got a job and working as a psychologist, my first job out of school. And I thought this is going to be interesting that I met some folks and I thought, what have I done? Because <laughs> I'd never been around anybody like that. And I tell everyone now when they come in for the volunteer training, I tell them, give us a little bit of time. Everybody just about falls in love with the folks that we work with. If you don't, that's fine. Then you know that about you and you can do something else. But 
our folks are just so easy to love. You just can't walk away. In fact, I think about half of our staff started out volunteers and couldn't yeah. walk away and became staff. Yeah, I mean, Anthony, for one. Right. My thought today, Frank, is um, the the weight of the world is heavy. And, you know, there's a lot going on with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And how do we talk about that on all things IDD? But I think it is relevant in that trauma is happening every day, whether that's at a international level or within a home. Um, and I think it's important for families and caregivers to know how to address trauma. Um, I'm also hoping that in us talking about trauma and how to deal with it, I can learn something because like I said, the world, it's it's heavy um, right now, especially with so- social media and us being able to see so many things going on. So um, yeah, I, I would love to talk about kind of how parents and caregivers can approach trauma and how to deal with that whenever it comes to people with disabilities. Sure. Well, one of the most important things we need to do is make sure that we understand if somebody asks us a question, they deserve an answer. We don't want to try to hide things or sugarcoat things. We want to kind of explain things on their level, which whatever that level is for each individual, we want to talk to them at that level. I would highly encourage us to cut back on television and social media as far as the reports we get. Part of the problem is that we know that violence sells. And so there are a lot of pictures out there and video that are pretty troubling and traumatizing. And you never know, um, the old saying is beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but what I like to say is trauma's in the eye of the beholder. You never truly know what's gonna be traumatic for somebody. It could be something kind of benign, but it could set something off. So I like to limit how much interaction we get off of YouTube videos or watching TV. We don't wanna hide this information from individuals. We want them to be aware of what's going on, but we don't wanna overwhelm them and think, oh my gosh, this is happening like right here in town. Certainly this can have an effect and probably will have an effect on us um, eventually as time goes on. But for the most part, it's important to let our folks know that this is a war that is occurring over in the Ukraine. They're not going to totally understand that. So if you have a globe or a map, you can show them where it is in relation to the United States and understand that while this war is sad, and we hate this, and you can explain war a little bit, that it's a disagreement. Um, the way I explain it to a lot of folks is a conflict. A conflict can be as simple as a mild disagreement. Do you want to get Burger King? No, I want to get McDonald's. It can be that simple, or it can be as bad as the war is. So that's all it is at, the, at its root is a disagreement. So there are two countries trying to figure out this disagreement, and this is how they're going at doing it. We all have our own opinions on how this should go. The vast majority of us feel the same way about what should be happening there. But we don't want to get tied up in that when we're working with our individuals because that can be troubling and paralyzing. They may feel helpless to do anything to help. And so we don't want to put them in that position either. So we can talk to them about what's going on. If they want to do something to help, they can draw pictures for people. They can write notes, anything like that. um, They can write notes for the people that are going through this and those can be taken to school that can be sent to whoever gets that type of thing. Um, So there's little things they do that might make them feel better because if there's anything we can do that's tangible that they can do that they feel like they're making a difference, whether it makes a difference or not isn't even relevant. We want them to feel like something's in their control 
Because when it comes to trauma, one of the difficult, regardless of the trauma, is that feeling of being out of control. I don't know what to do. And so anything we can do that gives them a little bit of control is a good thing. So even taking a step step back from the Russia-Ukraine conflict or war, um, I mean, it might be parents arguing in the home. So what you're saying is to take a step back from that situation and be able to remove yourself. So because I heard you say like showing them where they're at on the globe. So this is not in our town. But if it's something that's within the household, is that important for, you know, parents to say this, this is between mommy and daddy? I think so, because one of the things when we talk about trauma and the, and the new movement is trauma-informed care. And it's been going on, it's actually been going on for a long time, but now it's got a name and a voice in the last several years where it's really been emphasized. And all it really means at its root is that trauma is based on things that happened when you were a child. Um, we call it ACEs, which are... Um, different child, adverse childhood experiences. And so it goes into different things that could have occurred. Well, one of the things that we know is that when people argue, especially parents are arguing, it may be that's their communication style. They could actually really truly be angry, but we do know that a lot of our population and kids in general tend to take it like they must have done something wrong. So reassuring them that this has, they've done nothing, this has nothing to do with them is really important so they have that understanding. Um, of course, we want to try to keep that away from kids. That, that would be great if parents did that more, but I guess in the heat of the moment, that's hard for parents to do. But we want to talk, when it comes to conflicts like that, we talk about things like listening to other people's point of view. That's a skill we can teach our kids, and we can teach each other sometimes too. Sometimes when we sit down and talk to our kids about listening to the other person's point of view, try to look at things from their perspective, um, not arguing, not lying, things like that that make conflict worse. When we talk to our kids about that stuff, not only do our kids start to learn, but sometimes when we're talking, the light bulb comes on and like, you know, maybe I should be listening to what I'm talking about. Because in most conflicts or arguments, there's usually not 100% on one side and zero on the other. Usually there's enough blame to go around. Specifically, like you're talking about with people with disabilities, is just figuring out what level that they could understand. Um, so how typically do you decide like where somebody understands? Because parents probably understand where their child is at. So Well, but. I would say that, and, and I tell this when I do trainings with other places too, the person that's the biggest expert is the person that works with that person all the time. All the training in the world doesn't change the fact that if you're a mother or a teacher or someone else that knows an individual, that's the best training you can have is your firsthand knowledge of that individual. And that will give you kind of a guideline on how to go about approaching them, whether they can understand what you're talking about or if you need to make it more simple. I said a war could be as simple as these, this country doesn't get along with this country. And so they're trying to settle their differences and maybe not the right way we would like them to do it, but that's what they're trying to do at the, at the end of the day. We don't generally get into a lot of political talk because that's going to be over a lot of our folks' heads. And even if it's not, it's not necessarily helpful to go down that rabbit hole. Right. I mean, like you said, removing the news and all these things, um, because really, like as humans, I don't know if we were really meant to see all of the things bad happening in the world. Sure. And of course, it's important to remember when we're getting into situations like that, in this case, it happens to be Russia and the Ukraine, is that there are a lot of victims in these circumstances. And one could argue that there's folks in those countries, not everybody agrees with either side. There are different people. I mean, the residents, the fact that we disagree with the way a country is doing things, 
that country has several residents that disagree also. They're just not allowed to voice that necessarily. There, there could be some dire consequences if they do. So when we think about situations like that, there are a lot of kids over there, just like the kids over here. Kids have nothing to do with that. And so just kind of keeping in mind that there's a lot of good people, you know, that they're, they're kind of involved in this, going through their own trauma also. So with some of our members being nonverbal, some of them are unable to tell us or their staff about trauma. So what are different ways that um, caretakers can kind of maybe pick up that maybe trauma has happened? It's a good question. And what makes that a little easier, because a lot of times we focus on the fact that someone can't communicate as a barrier, and it certainly can be. But it's important to know that about 90% of communication isn't verbal. So really, families have a lot more information than they think they do when they're watching someone. We're watching when you know a child, or an adult for that matter, are they acting differently? That's, that's usually one of your big keys that something's going on. Um, they may seem more sad. They may be more withdrawn. They could even be happier. I mean, it is, it is, you're looking for significant change. That's usually kind of your tip off that something may be going on. Um, it could be that they're hanging out with wanting different interests, um, stuff like that. What would be your steps in addressing trauma? Well, one of the first things to do is be a role model. You, want, you don't want to act like you're freaked out about what's going on. You want to be calm for your child or the loved one that you're dealing with because they're going to take their cue from you. If you seem really upset, that's going to add to their agitation also. Um, you want to make sure that the person feels safe, and that goes back to um, when I mentioned earlier that if you point out that this is a long ways away from here, this isn't an imminent, these folks are going to come here with a war and Tomorrow, we're going to have somebody here with a gun and a cannon and bombs. It's not going to work that way. And so letting them know that while this is occurring, they themselves are not in any physical risk. That's not even remotely where we are right now, even in the political landscape we're in now. Nobody is in any imminent risk right now. That's just not where this is at. But to hear the news, you could take that out of it if you're not careful. Um, so I want to make sure that that's understood. Um, we want to try to make sure we're, we ourselves are calm, that we're not getting too agitated because, again, our kiddos and the folks we work with will sometimes worry about that. Um, one of the things that we can do is try to keep a routine. Um, anytime we have a routine that we keep the same, it's going to help whether it comes to trauma or anything else. Changing routine is difficult for a lot of our folks already. I mean, even when there is no trauma or anything involved, just changing routine, especially for our individuals on the autism spectrum, but not just them, other people too. And so when we keep a routine, there's something calming in that for these folks. And so if we can do that, that's going to help somewhat in dealing with traumatic events also. If a parent is unsure of how to approach conversations about it, what are some resources of... I mean, can they go to the ARC? Is, does Helen Farabee have services like this um, that the parent can be involved in? Or, yeah, what, what resources are out there? Well, of course, there's a lot of information online, but I always caution people, online isn't the end-all, be-all. There's a lot of good information and a lot of bad information. That's kind of the problem with that. So one of the things I would tell folks, at the ARC, um, we are more than willing to help anybody. Them, 
that's a member or even if they're not a member, we'll certainly encourage them to get a membership, but information is always free. So for our members, they can contact us and sit down, whether it's the member or a family member, they can schedule a time to come talk to us and I'll walk them through some of the things we can do for their loved ones based on their specific situation and give them that information. I've had family that said, well, I want to talk to you. And when they come to talk to me, they bring that loved one with them and let me do it instead of them. That's probably not the best way to do it always, but I'm not against helping. If that's more comfortable for a family, we can do that also. Helen Fairby has a program that they work with behavior issues. So not necessarily for the trauma itself on the IDD side, but if the trauma leads to behaviors, then they have a really good behavior specialist over there that can sit down with an individual and they'll do what's called a functional analysis. And we'll talk about that when we do a behavior thing one of these days. But basically they're gonna try and figure out why the behavior is occurring. And then once they have that done, they come up with a plan on how to address those behaviors. And they can do that for every week or every two weeks for a couple months to kind of get things started. That's something they can do. So they don't address the trauma directly per se, but once they get into the behavior plan, when trauma is part of that, then they'll address it at that point. I do have to give a shout out to Patsy's house. So they work with um, child abuse victims. So I know that's kind of uh, more of a specific category because we um, serve adults as well. But um, I know there are a lot of resources out there, uh, not even just Helen Farabee and the ARC, but um, Patsy's house does incredible work and they offer counseling, I know too. So, you know, after treatment, after getting to talk to somebody or even um, after the caretaker or parent talks with whoever endured this trauma, what are some kind of day-to-day things that um, we can instruct our members or the children to be doing to help cope? Okay. Well, one of the things we want to do, whether it's trauma or just anxiety in general, which is an, a little bit different than trauma, but it's going to feel to the human body similar. When you're going through anxiety, you have the same thing where what we want to do is teach self-regulation skills. And that's just a fancy way to say when you feel trauma or you feel anxiety, how do you calm yourself down? How do you bring yourself back? And so there's a couple ways you can do that. Um, they have breathing exercises that can be done. Um, meditation can be done. Um, there, there's just so many different things. Mindfulness is a really useful technique. And of course, I'm not explaining all what all this means right now, but there's just so much to it. But for example, for a breathing exercise, if you're dealing with a younger child, it can be as simple as putting a pillow or a stuffed animal on their tummy, letting them lay down, and then tell them when they breathe, breathe out as hard as they can and breathe in and watch the animal go up and down. And in doing that, they're engaging their senses because they're engaging their breathing they're seeing the animal move, they can feel it. And so the more of that stuff they get, that kind of grounds them to the moment. And when they're focused on what's going on there, it kind of takes them away from what was traumatic in the first place. So things like, just simple things like that are things we can do. Yeah, and those are things that can be done at school, at dayhab. I mean, that can be really anywhere. So that's really, really helpful. Right, Right. and it can be as simple as, you you have your different senses. And so if you're just, in the mall and you have a panic attack or you have anxiety or you just something happens you see somebody with their child and they start yelling at the child and that flashes you back to something that happened to you you can center yourself anywhere because if you're in the middle of a walmart shopping you can take in you just focus on five things you see just look around pay attention see the grapes over there they're purple they're round whatever it is you can listen take in the smells where you're at notice the fact that they're 
you're smelling fish or just whatever it is. You take in, the, just take in different things. And when you actually take the time to really look at it and just study it, like if you're looking at grapes, um, I guess I'm wanting grapes apparently this is an example <laughs> I'm giving, but if you're looking at it, focus on the grapes and that has a way to bring you back a little bit. It can kind of get you in the moment. So things like that can kind of help you. Is that like reminding your body that you're not in danger right now? I mean, you're, right. you're looking at your surroundings. Yeah. And, and, and the principle behind that is it is extremely difficult to be tense and frustrated and anxious and calm at the same time. And so um, I kind of call it a zero to 100 continuum. Um, if you're starving, it's not a good time to go shopping because you can't get that out of your mind. Everything looks good. Same principle. If you have a lot of anxiety and you start to calm down, you can't stay extra anxious. You're going to start calming down as you go along. So it's not 100%, but it helps you to center. It helps to ground you to here and now and the moment you're in and pulls you further away from whatever it is that's upsetting you. So helpful. <laughs> It's things that I need to remember in my day-to-day. -day. i also point out that um, one of the things we want to be careful is not identifying for our individuals what they're feeling because if we tell someone, it seems like you're upset, they might be sad, they might be angry, they might be agitated, and the fact that you're mislabeling their feeling can sometimes be counterproductive. They feel like we really want the folks we're working with to feel like we are with them, we understand them to the best of our ability, and that's of course what we really wanna do, but it's gonna help them when they see that. So we wanna make sure that when we're trying to help them be calm, that we're identifying what it is they're thinking and feeling to the best of our ability, and if we don't know, we can ask. There's nothing wrong with asking your child or a loved one how are you feeling right now? What's going through your mind? If they're nonverbal, they may not be able to express that. But even our nonverbal individuals, I know we were talking about that earlier, but they may not be able to express things to us, but we can still talk to them because one of the things that we do know, um, folks that work with IDD, is that the fact someone is nonverbal or even the ones that are verbal, we really have no clue exactly how their brain works as far as how much they take in. So one of the things I do with all the individuals I work with is I talk to them like I do anybody else. I give them information. I try to make sure I don't use a lot of technical jargon, but I talk to them because they may be taking a lot of this information in. So talk to someone about what they're going through and what they're feeling and stuff like that. Mm. I, I feel like that's so important in our field um, because um, especially for somebody that's maybe never been around somebody with disabilities is you can make assumptions and about what somebody can understand and interpret. And yeah, I love what you're saying about just talking to everybody the same way and maybe adapting once you observe, maybe they aren't understanding what you're saying, but um, just as a level of respect to somebody with disabilities, the importance of right. giving them that, um, yeah, that respect and talking to them. And the other thing we run into is, of course, we don't really know. Um, there was a story of a young lady that um, nobody thought she could do anything. And then she, about the time she was about 10, 12 years old, she typed out the word help because she was hurt on a thing. And her family didn't think she knew her letters, let alone anything. So once she did that, they encouraged her to do more. And over a series of training and spending time with her, she got where she could type up and the family felt horrible because they talked to her like she was just sitting there. Because when someone is nonverbal or super quiet, they tend to blend in and we tend to almost talk like they're not in the room. That happens a lot. And so the family felt awful because they just always talked like she couldn't do anything. And she was typing up the fact that um, she wanted to go to ball games and she thought, 
thought boys were cute, and she just really liked, she liked math, and they didn't think she knew what a number was, and she talked about how she liked math, and they asked her how she knew from the TV set being on, and if she hadn't started typing, they never would have had any insight, and the reason I give that story is because this girl happened to be able to type to translate that. How many individuals are in our families, um, or the enemy people that we work with, that have that same ability in their mind, they just don't have a way to relay that to us. And so, to me, that's extremely important to understand that a person that's nonverbal doesn't mean they don't have the same feelings, thoughts, desires, wishes that we do. They just can't communicate it. Wow. And I mean, I'm just thinking about that on the topic of trauma and, you know, whether that be a war around the world or something else that's going on, just really the importance of giving that space um, to, yeah, people that are either nonverbal or really shy or quiet, just making sure that we're creating spaces for people to feel what they're feeling and process through trauma. Um, because if we don't, maybe give them that space. Somebody might not ever be able to process through something. You're right. And one of the things we want to make sure is that our folks do have a chance to work through their feelings. We don't ever want to tell them their feelings are invalid. And that's something that families, um, the neurotypical parents for that matter, do that with their kids. They just, they act like their feelings are not that important. It'll be fine. You'll be okay later. And we don't want to do that, especially with the IDD population. We want to make sure that everything they say and feel we may not feel the same way, but it's still a valid feeling to them. So we want to make sure we they understand that, and that'll make the topic go a lot better too. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as um, family members and like helping your child or caretakers, um, helping their loved ones deal with trauma, I mean, it's a it's a lot to process. Um, any any trauma that happens for anybody, so. Um, what I guess what else is important collectively for everybody involved in the trauma to mm -hmm. steps for them to take? Well, one thing that's important is we have to take care of ourselves. And one of the things that can happen is while you're working with your child or loved one with IDD on this subject, remember, you've got your own feelings, your own thoughts about what's going on, whether it's in, in Russia and in the Ukraine or if it's here at home. Um, if you're talking to them about an issue, it may bring up your own trauma, things that happen with your family or your school in your past. And so you never know when a topic could trigger something in yourself. And so one of the best things we do is take care of ourselves also. You're, what I tell parents all the time is you're not good to your kids or to the loved ones in your life if you don't take care of yourself. Same premise as when you're on the plane and they tell you you have to put on your own thing before you put it on your child. It's really tough for moms, but it's one of those things that we do it because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your child. So when you have those feelings, do you have family and friends you can talk to? Do you have, whether it's taking a bubble bath or reading a book, watching a movie, things you can do to de-escalate your own emotions? What can you do? Because if you're not in a good spot, it's going to be really hard for you to help the, the people in your life. So we want to do that. If you go to gym, the gym, if that's important to you, whatever it is for you to physically and mentally be in a good spot, you need to do for yourself so you're in a better spot for everybody in your life. So are there any stories that you have either in your time at Helen Farabee or at the ARC of um, a member that had gone through a traumatic situation that you saw from start to finish, um, kind of how they worked through that? Yeah, well, I did have a, I had a nonverbal individual that was on the autism spectrum and he was an individual that couldn't really talk, but he could communicate in other ways, but it wasn't real apparent. 
And so he got into a circumstance where he was taken advantage of. And so he really struggled. Um, he started acting out. Um, he had trouble where he used to do really well riding on buses and going into stores. And all of a sudden he was running off. He was trying to jump off of the vehicle or take his seatbelt off when he was driving. They're just little things that were going on. And so we saw the acting out. We were able to pinpoint about when it all occurred and we were able to pinpoint it to a particular time frame and event. I'll say it that way because this hasn't been that long ago. And so in working with them, figuring out what happened, um, there was an individual that was responsible for the trauma he was going through. But because we were able to do that, we were able to just de-escalate it and get things better where he's an individual that we still see all the time and he's back to his normal, helpful self. But we had to do some things with him to help him with the trauma. And so when we can figure out what's the tra where the trauma's coming from, what the exacerbating factors are or the ACEs, the, the, the adverse experience, we go through those. Once we get through that information, then it's a little easier to help the person. And then so in his case, we knew where the trauma came from. We were able to work, help him work through it. And it's not unusually, unlike you'd mentioned earlier, Patsy's house and some of the things that happen there. They do amazing work. And so a lot of the folks that go through there, the individuals that go there, are there for trauma, but some of the staff there have seen their own traumas, whether it's in their own families or friends or loved ones. And so they deal with that stuff so that they can help other people. And so kind of, I guess to kind of wrap this up, the individual we worked with had the folks that were working with them not been able to address it because they had their own trauma, it would have been harder for them to do it. So this individual, we were able to do a lot of good work and he's back to the way he was before and we've been able to put the trauma behind him. but. Um, Hopefully that kind of answered your question in a very roundabout way. Frank, I really appreciate you being here today um, and just bringing your expertise to me selfishly, like things that I can apply in my own life, but also for our listeners, for parents, for caretakers. This is all really, really helpful. And yeah, hopefully we can have you back sometime. Thank you. I enjoyed being here. Thank you so much for being here today and listening in. I hope you are able to learn something today, whether it be something helpful for yourself or something you'll be able to use to help someone with IDD cope with trauma. Be on the lookout for our next episode coming in April. And as always, be good to yourself.